the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. When you're starting out, I think it's helpful to think big and to not arbitrarily hold ourselves back. I think that one thing about Dean Jackson that I really like is this notion of, you know, with the before unit, that the before unit is the part of the business that's supposed to bring in cases and that that department should not care at all, at all about the production. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is... The Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey, Jim, what's going on? Tyson, we have our recent guest, Will Norman, back on the show this week. We're going to talk through some more of the issues. I think last week was a good groundwork of what's going on in Will's situation, and we're excited to have him on the show. Hey, Will, what's going on, bud? Hey, fellas, thanks for having me on again. All right, Will, so last week we went over some of your questions about really how to get started now that you and your firm have split, you and your partner. Uh, I think this week we're going to focus on really suggestions on, on, on how to move forward, suggestions from me and Jim. But in the meantime, you just want to give us an update on, on any changes, things you've done in the last week to sort of move things forward? Sure, so uh, just got a couple of the nuts and bolts things figured out. Got my office space, a real great place with a number of other attorneys, one of which is criminal defense, but uh, the other ones do different kind of civil litigation. So I think there would be a good opportunity to both cross refer, but also to just kind of brainstorm about, uh, you know, running a small, smaller solo practice and uh, kind of best practices, things of that nature, you know, kind of, EIN and bank accounts and all of that stuff kind of figured out. And then I worked on my marketing strategy a bit. And um, I had told you a little bit about the uh, 555 type of approach. And I took a look at it and it looks like the amount of cases that I would need, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, to make that work is probably more cases than I can do. So I think that what I've determined is I need to find a way to increase my average case value. And uh, so I was hoping to pick your brain about that, particularly Tyson, as, as you've done some criminal defense work. Sure, it will, because I know I teased this last week, the 555 plan. So will you tell people what that is so they have an understanding of what we're even talking about? Yeah, so I was trying to put some numbers together and I didn't want to overthink it and try to get so granular that 
you know, I figured out to the penny and, and how many cases and how many hours. I wanted to set some goal and then try to work towards it. So I set a goal for revenue of $250,000. And I don't know when that would be, if that's a two or three year goal or, um, you know, a five year goal or a one year goal. But at any rate, I started to break that down and I said, well, you know, uh, 250000 in revenue is 21000 a month. So if I could get, and I started looking at maybe a, a suite of the cases that I do, you know, from, you know, low level kind of tickets or misdemeanor cases all the way to the higher felonies. And, you know, what's, a, what's an average case value? I said around 2100 so at twenty one hundred for a case value, ten cases gets you twenty one thousand. So I said, okay, well, how would I get ten cases? I said, well, why don't I try to do? I want to build an attorney referral network that gives me five cases a month at an average case value of twenty one hundred. I want to have a website that gives me five cases a month at an average value of twenty one hundred. And I want to have a bail bondsman network that gives me five cases a month at twenty one hundred. Now, I think that it's pretty clear that, you know, that's a long, longer term goal to build those networks and that they'll probably build unevenly. And, um, you know, this isn't an immediate thing, but just thinking about it in those terms, it doesn't seem like it's kind of pie in the sky when you're saying, look, I want to build this referral network and I just want it to give me five. And, uh, now that's pretty significant, but at the same time, it's not, it's not a moonshot, I don't think. So started thinking about it in those terms and then Basically, it was looking like I'm bringing on 10, 15 cases a month. And so I think that it would be better if I could get my average case value up to like 3,000 and only have seven cases a month. That'd be more realistic in just handling the, the docket. So anyway, that's kind of the strategy I tried to think about. And I'm sure it'll have some adjustments and tweaks. But it was just kind of a simple way to think about it, just to build a, a network, separate networks, all that are feeding you five. So I had some thoughts about what you just shared, Will, and I say this with all the love and due respect that I can give you, but why do you think that's the limited number of cases that you can handle? I feel like that you said something that sort of caught my ear, and that was that, you know, you said, I want to get this many cases because that's the amount that I can handle. I mean, I would encourage you to think perhaps of 10 times as much. One if you got 50 cases instead of five from each of those referral sources. I understand the, the importance of having realistic goals, especially at the beginning, but I think at least from a mental exercise, I would encourage you at this stage to not cap what you could bring in based on what work you can perform. I know obviously as attorneys, we have an obligation to provide competent and thorough representation to our clients, but I think that when you're starting out, I think it's helpful to think big and to not arbitrarily hold ourselves back. I think that one thing about Dean Jackson that I really like is this notion of, you know, with the before unit, that the before unit is the part of the business that's supposed to bring in cases and that that department should not care at all, at all about the production. And that if you are going to limit yourself to cases the number of cases that only you can do, then you're really going to cap out pretty quickly. And I think that I would encourage you to think about leverage with an associate down the line and that you don't want to arbitrarily throttle yourself at this early juncture. I think that's, that's sound advice. And I have been thinking of how to kind of benchmark and how to plan my growth 
so at at x capacity of cases or or once we're bringing in so many cases you know when would be appropriate to get an associate and i haven't worked those numbers out yet but you know i think that as long as i have a realistic understanding of when i would have to bring in more more help to handle the substantive cases that would help me kind of expand my thinking in the way that you're talking about so i think that's great advice and i'll definitely incorporate into my thinking going forward is is not to not to think small think big and then grow accordingly well i had the same thoughts whenever you were talking about that that jimmy did so i I think you you keep using this word capacity maybe get away from that word uh maybe think about it a little bit differently and i think that another way of putting what jimmy was talking about i think if you if you put your systems in place if you get everything moving a well machine you're not going to have to worry about the numbers and how many cases you have to pump into the pipeline. You don't have to worry about the capacity or anything like that because once you have the systems in place, you're going to be shooting cases through and taking care of them and really taking care of clients and doing a really good job. I want to address the thing about the price points. So you have essentially in your 555 plan, you have three feeders. You have your website, referring attorneys, and bail bondsmen. At least in Missouri, in Illinois, bail bondsmen are not a thing. In Missouri, they are. They're a big thing in rural counties. So the lower end cases are from bail bonds on the website, at least in in Missouri. It may be a little bit different from where you are, but in Missouri, those are are lower end cases. So it can be harder for you to get that higher price point. But if you focus on the attorneys, the attorneys are the ones that are really pumping you up. They're the ones, hey, hey, man, my guy, Will, he knows what he's doing. I refer all my cases to him. He's going to take care of you. Those are the higher value cases where you can really increase the value. And what I mean increase the value, you can double and triple your fees in some cases because no matter what, and and make sure you're providing the value that they're going to get for that. But some of these referral partners, when they send you a case, no matter what, that client's going to hire you just because that attorney gave their work. So you may want to revise your plan and focus on that that middle section of referral partners because you can charge a lot more money. And I'm pretty sure any of our listeners or any other attorneys that focus on referrals from other attorneys will will vouch for this. They're much better clients usually, and you can charge significantly more money. So if you're wanting to raise your rate, you may want to devote your attention to that as opposed to the other two buckets. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I guess I did consider the fact that, you know, even though I'm asking for you know, this many referrals at this price point that as I went through that process, it's very likely that, you know, one referral source or another would give me more referrals and that different referral sources would be at different price points. So I'd kind of thought that it would kind of turn out, you know, as I get more information, it would turn out differently. But yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's good advice. I'll I'll definitely take a look at that. And I guess that you know, the one last piece is I'm trying to develop different referral sources, but then the other question was, of course, how to triage it and how do you prioritize? And um, I think that as of right now, and given what you two are saying, that my focus is going to be on attorney referral network and then also, you know, the website, just because that takes time to load. So, you know, you've really got to get out in front of that because it has a lagging, you know, success rate, if you will. So, yeah, good sound advice again. All right, so we're going to go into some sort of quick tips from Tyson and Jim. We spent a lot of time talking to Will about the overall practice, and we want to get sort of granular and talk about some some nitty-gritty. My first piece 
is one that Tyson and I talk about a lot. And I want to make sure that when you go out on your own, that you're not going to be answering your own phone, that you're going to have a buffer so that people aren't calling to pick your brain and sort of get free advice and that you really have a system in place to not answer your phone and that you also are capturing all the information from anybody who calls so that you can add them to your database. Yeah, so that's one of the first things that I addressed when I was kind of putting together my systems. One, the first thing I did was make kind of a flow chart of how a receptionist would handle the calls. And uh, basically, if, if it becomes a criminal case, that there would be some intake information obtained before she schedules a call back. If it's a referral case, that um, it's the information sent to me so I can refer it out to my preferred attorneys. And then if it's an existing case to schedule a call back and uh, I'm looking for some virtual services to you know, try to help me out in the beginning here. Open to suggestions, of course. I heard your great episode on Ruby Receptionist. I'm definitely looking into them, but there's a lot of different providers out there. Yeah, and if you want to send us a message, actually, you know what, we'll do it on the Facebook page. I've used multiple different companies, and I think Jim has too, so we can give you a, a few options. Ruby is the, the most expensive, but they're by far the best. So it just depends on really your price point and really what you want. There's other ones out there that are comparable, but not as good. So, and just so we're clear, so we're giving these tips. These are based upon questions you had, you've given to us. So you may want to post those questions on the Facebook page. But you had a question about, considering criminal defense as a niche and then also maybe niching down even more than that. And my suggestion to you is if you can niche down even more, and we sort of talked about this last week, but if you want to take just sex cases or become the like the fourth amendment guy, like we talked about, or just federal cases, things like that, at least in St. Louis, there's a lot of attorneys that just do one or two things within the criminal realm. And they do really well because they're known as that guy. Or, or that gal. So you may want to consider doing that. So that, that's one of my suggestions. And then on top of what Jimmy was just saying, you had a concern about cases possibly falling through the cracks as you grow. And what Jimmy said, make sure you have some sort of database to put those, those clients into, whether it could even be a spreadsheet. You know, it could be just that if you want to start off with that, but you want to have a, a CRM. And I recommend a CRM because you want to take notes like your life depends on it. Because if you drop dead tomorrow, you want to want to be able to hand this off, all of your files off to another attorney so they know exactly where the case is. So that's why I'm saying take notes. That way, when as you grow, as you have attorneys come on board, as you have a, a paralegals or assistants come on board, they know exactly what's going on. When it's just you, you may think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. I don't need to take notes. I know what's going on with the case. But you really do because you're going to forget things. But the most important thing is as you grow, you want people to know what's going on with your cases. That way they can help your clients. Also, on that part of it, I think you're sort of getting away from this, but you were sort of driving yourself insane, I think, with this paralysis of thinking about all the, sort of the small things you need to do. Don't worry about that. Worry about the big things. Uh, focus on the big things, the vision, the goal, things like that. All the, all the small things will fall into place. So like Jimmy said, we're going to kind of go through these as quickly as possible because we've got a lot of suggestions. So we want to make sure we get through all of them for you. That works for me. I'm all ears. All right. So my next one, Will, is have you thought about a lead magnet, about something that's going to help to get people when you have your website up and running to leave their contact information? I think that if you haven't thought much about that or if you haven't started working on it, I think what I would do is for the next month, I would just keep track of the questions that people ask you the most and whatever the top 10 are, the answers, the spiels you give to people when they come into your office. I would turn that into a white paper, a special report make it free to for download, just trade an email address for the report. 
Yeah, so I have given that some thought, and um, I think that the two, to, to Tyson's point, I think that the two areas I'm going to look to focus on would be OVIs and then general Fourth Amendment cases. That really meshes with what I've done my entire life and, and having a detective for a father and, and brother. You know, I just kind of understand how those things work and, and think in terms of probable cause and Fourth Amendment issues. So I was actually wondering on the lead magnet, if it should be something you know more general or really try to target maybe OVIs who's such a good volume practice, you know, to say, you know, the five things you must do if you've been charged with an OVI, right? And I've, I've put something together to that effect or more generalized because, you know, I practice in all areas, you know, the 10 questions to ask your criminal defense attorney before hiring him. And so I put those things together. I'm, I don't know if you guys have an opinion on, you know, would you go more narrow and specific because you get kind of super qualified leads or, um, you know, more general because it covers a broader swath? No. So I think your second one is, is spot on. Shoot me an email. I'll give you an example of the one I have for criminal defense. It's, it's very similar to that one. And all the questions are targeted to, to funnel them towards me. And so, you know, you talk about specific awards, you know, did the attorney, does the attorney have this award? Things like this. Um, when's the last time the attorney tried a case? Things like that. So, and then I give suggestions underneath, you know, if an attorney hasn't tried a criminal case in the last six months, you may want to think about somebody else, things like that. So I'll send this to you so you have a chance to look at it, but I think that's a great one because what it's doing is actually funneling them towards you with each one of the questions. So make sure each one of those questions is targeted so that it will put you in a favorable light. That's a Ben Glass technique. If you look at any of his little books, he's does the exact same thing where basically just funnels all the clients or all the questions will funnel the client towards you. It also, it filters some of the clients out. So that's, that's another point of some of the questions. And with your lead magnet, uh, the conversion numbers have been better for, for sheets and tip, like tip sheets, things like that, as opposed to books recently. So if you listen to any or read any of the conversion blogs or listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot, well, I wouldn't say all of them because I know Jimmy uses his book and it, it's pretty good. But if you're just looking at capturing leads, a lot of the conversion numbers will tell you that it's better just to have like a tip sheet or one, one sheet of questions as opposed to a large book. So you may want to consider that as well. And maybe even test it out, have the book and then on, on one and then have the actual tip sheet or questions on another and test the conversion to see, to see which one converts better. Speaking of websites, yeah. Will, what's your plan with the website? What are, you, what are you thinking as far as your website? And I know you got your own domain name and everything, but what are you thinking as far as layout and content? So uh, I had a few hours uh, meeting with uh, my friends over at Edie and Hill, Will Edie and Michael Hill. They do nursing home law. And um, they are, they're real sharp guys, came from a top plaintiff's firm, went out on their own, and they just, you know, eat, breathe, and live this stuff, uh, particularly uh, Will on the website. And uh, they've given me a lot of good ideas on how to generate content and what content to generate. And then, you know, additionally, they've kind of given me some of the, you know, guidance on, you know, kind of how to structure a website. So, for instance, you know, for the purposes of getting a faster load, you want to use a couple of different of the WordPress, which is a schema or Genesis that gives you a faster load, helps you out on SEO. And then what they had recommended in, uh, you know, attempting to just build it out for the first time is essentially to go get your WordPress theme figured out 
you know, get a couple of pages of content. And then essentially they said to go to a site called Design Crowd. And uh, you basically put in a description of what you want in your site. And different designers will, you know, submit you, you know, I don't know what it would be, I guess, examples or, you know, I guess, quotes um, where they give you an actual website built out a bit. And then it's an iterative process. So you can say, I like this. I don't like that. And they ended up, I think, getting their website done for $1,000 or something. And, you know, it's it's incredibly sharp if you go there. So that's what I've been thinking. I've put some of the content together and, um, you know, I'm on Design Crowd, so I have a username and all that. And I plan on submitting the description uh, sometime here this week. But again, you know, that was kind of the conversation I had with it. It seemed to, to match with not trying to go too heavy on spending initially, but still get a good product. But I'm open to suggestions or if that sounds like a, you know, that has some sort of fatal flaw to it, I'd like to hear it. I actually think that's a, a great idea. I don't disagree with that, Jimmy. Do you? I mean, that's roughly what Tyson and I did. We both picked WordPress themes and we had people that are helping us implement it. And so I think that crowdsourcing it or going out to a, a virtual assistant or something like that is perfect. Yeah. So that's actually a good segue, Jimmy, because you had asked some questions, Will, about really when to hire and outsourcing. So I'm going to talk about all those in one little uh, summary. So uh, a couple outsourcing services that people want to look at, and we've talked about them before on the podcast, the cheapest, but they're they're <laughs> deceptively been increasing their prices as Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. You can get some, this is more for quick jobs. I'm having your letterhead design it, designed for five bucks, things like that. Now, they have been giving multiple options now where you can get like packages for like $30 or $100. So their prices are increasing. So just be mindful of that. Usually you can get things done for five bucks, but it usually takes a week or two to get them done as opposed to you can spend like 30 bucks to get it done the next day. So just keep an eye on that. Upwork.com, which used to be Odesk. I love Upwork. I'll reveal my numbers uh, in a later podcast because I'll have to look them up. But it's insane how much I've used Upwork over the last three years. I was actually surprised whenever I started, I ran the numbers to see it, really how many hours of work has been done. So I'll talk about that on a later podcast. You wanted to know what to outsource or delegate in day one? Phones. Definitely you want to delegate or outsource it. Uh, if you outsource it, you can use any of the services that we talked about, uh, Ruby, whatever it may be. Scanning, you definitely want to delegate that if you scan. I don't know if you have paper files. And then also coding the documents, I would outsource that. So that's what we do. I've got one of my assistants to scan documents, and then we have someone to actually code those documents. And then also uh, bookkeeping is one. And then the last one is transcription. I get a lot of uh, work done transcribing documents. I transcribe pleadings, blog posts, uh, whatever it may be, letters. Um, and then a big part of your question was when to hire. So I wanted to give you some facts to consider. If your work is suffering, so if you noticed a, a decline in the actual customer service aspect of, of, of the whole client experience, make sure you, that may be a sign to, to you want to hire. You have too much to do each day, so you're spending more time at the office. You're just not getting enough done. So that's obviously a sign. If you have at least six months of overhead in the bank, that may mean that you're in a position. You may want more than that, but I'd say have at least six months of overhead in the bank where you can actually support payroll and paying for your rent and everything else. Another factor that you may want to, that you may overlook is 
you have the actual work to do going forward. And the only way you're going to know that is if you track your leads and track your numbers and know where things are coming from. Because if you don't know those numbers, you may not know that. But if you have the work and then also the space, okay? So when you do this, you got to buy computers. You know, you've got to buy, you got to train people, you got to have the procedures in place. So you can't hire unless you have that stuff in place. But again, the space, that's one that's overlooked. Your rent will increase. Uh, quite a bit once you start hiring people. So you want to keep that in mind. So those are all factors you may want to consider when you want to hire. Yeah, Tyson, that's a big question for me. I mean, you know, you, you say right off the bat, you know, have scanning outsourced and or at least done by someone else and, you know, a couple of other on-site things. And, um, you know, my thought was to remain, you know, solo, just have, you know, one of the receptionist service and a bookkeeper outsourced. Now, those have to be done on site, I imagine. There's not another way that you can do scanning. So you're saying get someone in maybe even a couple of days a week to do to do the scanning and all that? Law student. What Jimmy talked about last week, get a law student. That could yeah. probably be your best bet to start off because they're not going to want a ton of hours and you're not going to have to pay them a ton of money. So the law student will be a good one. Perfect. All right, so we're about at the end of the show. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up with everybody, and we're going to do our tip or hack of the week. So, Tyson, do you have your tip of the week? So a lot of times whenever we're designing websites or designing you know, lead magnets, things like that, one of the biggest headaches is doing the actual icons or logo, things like that, that go onto your website or into your lead magnet. So Jason Osterley put me onto this app. It's called Icomoon. Sounds like Icon Moon, but I C O M O O N, and it's a, it's an an app you can uh, you can download, and it's really cool. It's really simple. You have a lot of different icons you can use and download and, and put them on your website or wherever you may need them. So, Ico Moon is my tip of the week. All right. So for my hack of the week, Tyson and I are getting ready. By the time you guys hear this, InfusionCon's annual convention, Icon 2017, will be over. But while we're out there, I'm going to be spending some time with my man, Greg Jenkins. And Greg used to work for Infusionsoft as a trainer. He has a program that's very reasonable to teach you about automation. I think it's about $29 a month. I've learned more for that $29 than I have in just about any kind of Infusionsoft-related field. He does the best job I know of explaining it simply and concisely teaches you the real basics. He's got some very reasonable tutorials that you can learn about how to use Infusionsoft, how to automate. I highly recommend it. If you go to MonkeyPod Marketing, it's where you'll find Greg, and I highly recommend it. Will, what is your tip of the week? My tip of the week is a book that I've recently read called McCarthy on Cross-Examination. Not really a law firm management book, more of a sharpen the, the practice saw there. But it's just, it's a really, really great resource on how to get what you want out of cross-examination, a kind of, you know, almost brain-dead system that will allow you to be the storyteller to your jury or to your judge, control and, um, you know, control the witness and basically make it so that their option is either to agree with what you're saying or look bad. So uh, McCarthy on cross-examination, great book, very quick read, and um, I think a great resource for any attorney who does cross-examination. I recommend that book. I've, I've read that book. I've heard of that actually on multiple CLEs. It's it's a really good book. So people that are interested in cross-examination, 
unlike Jim Hacking, who does immigration work. But uh, I, I definitely plan on checking it out. Jimmy, got anything else? For the record, I will be cross-examining witnesses a week uh, in next month in May. We have a, a trial. Immigration attorneys do go to court and do cross-examine people. So I might have to check out that book myself. Everybody, <laughs> have a great week. All right, have a good week, guys. See you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.